Revelation chapter 20, we spent quite a, a, a good time in this chapter discussing what the millennial kingdom is going to be like. Of course, we've looked at all of what is known as the tribulation period and, and the things that happen there and how when Christ returns, he calls his faithful to him, I believe of all ages, his bride, those who have made themselves ready and those who have overcome and all those things we looked at last week. He calls his people to him and then he he executes his judgment on the world, those who have gathered themselves against him. And from that point begins what we know as the millennial kingdom, a thousand years where Christ rules and reigns on this earth. And we've spent uh, a few weeks now just kind of looking what that means. And it's going to be very much different than, than life as we know it now. The, the curse on the earth, the curse on uh, human, humanity, the curse on nature seems to be rolled back a bit. And we see uh, people living longer lives, hundreds of years, it seems, as, as if we're rolled back almost to pre-flood conditions. We see that there is peace in the animal kingdom, the lion and the lamb laying down together, the wolf and the ox uh, feeding together, and a little child playing with all of them. So we see the, the curse as it was on uh, nature and the animal kingdom rolled back and, and, and it's very much as um, both Peter calls it and, and, and uh, Jesus uh, says a restoration or a restitution of all things, uh, bringing it back to what it should have been. And we see uh, the earth just producing and over all of that Christ reigns as king. His word is law. He reigns from Jerusalem. All the nations come to Jerusalem to worship him it's finally going to be like it always should have been where God is the king of the earth. So it's actually very exciting and, and uh, um, it grabs at your heart to think about what is to come. I don't believe this has happened yet. I believe this still is to come. So that's what we've been talking about. I want to uh, maybe tie up a couple things and, and move on past that. Revelation 20, let's just start in verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on, that dra on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Again, another thing to consider is Satan is bound. I believe the demons are bound at this time, too. There's no satanic influence in the world. So there's not going to be satanic influence on religion or politics or, or humanity as a whole. Again, that's something we don't understand. We're living right in the middle of satanic influence, aren't we? With politics the way they're going and culture the way it's going. We see Satan's touch everywhere. When it comes to the millennial kingdom, that's going to be bound. That's going to be bound. I don't really know <laughs> what that's quite going to be like, but it's going to be better than it is now. Man will still have a sin nature, as, as we see uh, probably at the, the end of the lesson. Man will still have a sin nature. And, and the Bible talks about in Isaiah chapter 65 and chapter 66 that sinners are punished during that reign. But Satan's hands and everything, it's not going to be there. He's going to be bound up. Verse 4 and I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. 
And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. I want to stop there. We, we spent a couple weeks now defining who that is. I think that's pretty clear. It's his faithful people, those that have made themselves ready, those that are prepared for his coming. Where I want to pick up is... Who is on the earth that is left to rule over? He says they rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Well, who's left on the earth to rule over? So just a few things for your thoughts uh, this evening. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 16 says, Everyone that was left of the nations that came against Jerusalem had to go up to Jerusalem to worship. He's talking about that future time. Everyone who's left of the nations that came against Jerusalem. Well, we get the picture of what happens to the armies of the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 19. Look back at chapter, in verse 19 of chapter 19. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. So at the end of chapter 19, we have the Lord who is seated on that white horse His armies, which I believe is His faithful people, also on horses, seated behind Him. And it's like this face-off between the Antichrist, the kings of the earth, and their armies. Now, you've got to pay attention to what Scripture said. Did it say the Antichrist, the kings of the earth, and everybody else on the earth? He says His armies. So, we've got to be careful, lest we get this picture when Jesus comes back and, and... He defeats this army that everyone in the earth is wiped out that doesn't believe. No, that's not what Scripture says. It's the armies that come against Him. I don't believe all of the nations will be gathered here at this standoff at Armageddon, the Battle of Armageddon. I don't believe everyone from every nation is going to be there. I believe it's going to be armies. The nations will worship the beast. Revelation 13 tells us that, right? The world worship the beast. They're they're so in love with this Antichrist that they give themselves over to him. They worship him. They make him king. They take his mark. But I don't think all of them are gathered here. In fact, I think... I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, I think some might see his true colors and might pull back. Is that a possibility? Think of, think of the day we live in today, all right? You are led to believe, you and I are led to believe by the media that every single person on the face of the earth believes exactly what the media says and as they say, right? That all these agendas that are being pushed, that that's what everyone around you believes. And that... What, what these people want or what these people saying, they are the voice of all the people and you alone are the one who are different. That's what we're led to believe. We are made, especially if we feel different, we are made to feel that we are alone. Nobody else feels like us. We're the odd man out. This is what the whole world believes and it keeps pushing incessantly, right? That this is right, this is right, this is what everybody believes. I'm not saying a lot of people don't believe like that. They do. A lot of people are swayed by the media, and a lot of people follow those things. You're made to feel that you're outnumbered. But then when you begin to talk to people, does it quite seem the case? I mean, once in a while you have 
these stories slip through of people who are standing for the truth. The, the latest one that's in my mind is the pastor in Canada. Have you heard of that? You've seen that? Listen, I, I, don't, I, don't know if I, I don't know his theology. I don't know if I believe everything alongside with him that he believes about the Bible, but I know he believes in the Lord as his Savior, and he is standing for the truth. From what I understand, that brother could walk out of the jail right now if he agreed to not preach and to not hold church services. He could walk out a free man. But he's still there, last time I heard, he's still there because he says, no, I will not do that. That's ama- I love stories like that. That's amazing to see that there are still people out there like that standing for the truth. Once in a while you get a breath of fresh air, you hear something like that, or you begin to, to talk to people in your circles that may not feel the same way the media does, or something may happen that causes them to, to kind of second guess maybe what they've thought before. If I could put it this way, Scripture says we are totally depraved, right? Man is totally depraved. We're totally sinful. There's none good, none righteous, no, not one. We're all sinners. We all need a Savior. Everybody can agree to that, right? Everyone is totally depraved, to to borrow that phrase, but not everyone is at the totality of their depravity. Does that make sense? Though we're all sinners... No one is at the utter sinfulness of their sinfulness. There's still some things that to some people are wrong. They would look and say, no, murder. People, most people you come across on the street would say, murder is wrong. Now, there's some people who accept it and, and will make excuses, but most people you're going to meet, they've, they've got a sense of what is right and what is wrong. And there's some things that they won't do. Prisons have a code for crying out loud. So not everybody is at the, sin, the, the utter bottom of their sinfulness. Turn to Romans chapter 2 if you would. Romans chapter 2 and look in verse 13. We could pick up right here and see something that's there. Something, something maybe we don't always think about. This ties into what he said in Romans chapter 1. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 that, that the very nature of God, the very existence of God is stamped on creation. So humanity is without excuse. We can see there is a creator. And therefore, if there is a creator, we answer to him. Well, look in Romans 2 and verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile excusing, accusing or excusing one another. There are people who may not walk in a right relationship with God that can do right things, Right? They can love their kids. They can love their neighbor. They cannot steal or not lie. That is because there is a law written on our very hearts. There is this this knowledge down deep within us of right and wrong, of what is good and what is right. Warped and messed up in most, but it's there. And Paul says, look, he's talking to the Jews. You're calling yourself so holy. Even these people who don't know the law can do right or wrong. 
which causes me to think. If humanity has been the same as we have for some six or 8,000 years, however long we've been around, if we've been the same with the same sin nature, and maybe society has been better or low or high, right? We could look in history and see a bit more morality and sometimes where it's really bad and we're certainly on the downward trend. Human nature stays the same. I don't know that it's going to change that much when this time comes. People will be deceived. Revelation 13 says that. People will be deceived. But could it be possible that when he begins to show his true colors and begins to murder people in mass, the Antichrist, that there are some who might draw back from fully following him and aligning themselves with this army that goes to make war with God, and so they're not there and they're not destroyed? I don't know. It's something to think about, but I don't. it doesn't mean they start to believe. It just means they're not fully given over to this full level of evil of following the Antichrist in this way. I just think that there are going to be some who aren't present. There are going to be some of the nations that are left that will be there to rule over. Psalm 2. Let's turn to Psalm 2. I want you to notice something that's said here too. Psalm 2. This is a a psalm that is predicting and speaking about what will happen in the millennial reign. And hopefully some passages like this begin to ring a little clear. Now we've spent some time with that. Look at Psalm 2 and 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast their cords away from us. That's exactly what's going to happen under the Antichrist, isn't it? There is going to be those who gather, the kings of the earth gather together to say, let's put this off, let's get rid of God forever. I don't know how, I still don't know how they think they're going to do that. But they're going to fool themselves to say, that's it. We're tired of this God stuff and people talking about the Bible. And let's go to the source. We'll get rid of this forever. Let's break this band that he has over us, these chains, and cast their cords. Let's get rid of it. That's what's going to happen at Armageddon, isn't it? They're going to gather themselves against it. Verse 4, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. (laughs) I love languages like that. You think God's going to get concerned? You think he's going to start biting his nails and say, oh no, look at them, they're really mad. You know what he's going to do? Ha! It's nothing. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. He says, you're going to be held accountable for what you're about to do. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. That's Christ. Ruling from Jerusalem. I've set my king in Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Verse 9 is what I want you to listen to. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The, The son will rule over them as king. And he will break the nations and rule them with a rod of iron. And if it's only 
believers that are on the earth that are populating the earth during this millennial reign, who's he going to break? No. There will be those left of the nations that took the mark of the beast, that uh, worship the Antichrist to some extent. There will be people left that Christ will rule over and break down their allegiance to him and bring all to himself. I don't know what that number will be. It might be a few. It might be many nations. I don't know. I, I can't make an estimate on that. But whatever nations are left, they are all now brought under Christ. Those who used to serve Antichrist now worship Christ, and He breaks them and, and uh, um, rules them with a rod of iron. And so then we have the instructions, verse 10. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and ye perish from the way, when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. I see that warning as to those who would listen to it now, but also as a warning for those nations that will be under His rule. You better fall in line, because if not, you will be ruled over with a rod of iron. So all who are left on the earth who are not part of either group in Revelation 19, the faithful ones who ride with Christ or the armies of the world that ride with Antichrist, that is who will populate the earth. Let's go back to Revelation 20. I want to look at just a couple things. Revelation 20 and verse 5. So they rule and reign with Christ a thousand years, this, this faithful bride that he has. Verse 5, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This, this ruling and reigning, these people that rule and reign with Christ, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. Pretty simple statement that's made here in these two verses. But it's much debated. Who is they? Well, I, we already spent time looking at who they is. Those that have made themselves ready. Those who have overcome. Those who have followed Christ. Been faithful to God. We saw that. We traced it back through Scripture. All the way back to Daniel, Daniel, I believe chapter 7, the saints, the saints shall possess the kingdom, his holy ones, right? We know who they are who reigns. It says, blessed are they, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. They shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him a thousand years. There's very much focus put on these people that you want to be part of that. It says, uh, says in Revelation 19 and, and verse 9, Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the, it's, it's woven all through Revelation. You want to be faithful. You want to be sticking close. You want to be enduring. All those things we've talked about over the past couple weeks. Those who at His coming are resurrected. Those who enjoy the blessings of verse 6. That's usually not the question that comes up. The question is, well, who is the rest of the dead? Who is the rest of the dead that are not raised? We know what the Bible says in the book of Thessalonians, that those who are 
the dead in Christ shall rise and we shall be caught up together with Him. And 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the same thing. There are those who are raised and there are those who are dead who are not raised. Well, who is the rest of the dead? Well, it's a pretty simple answer to me. Those who are not part of those who are mentioned in chapter 19. Those who are not part of this people who are faithful. That would certainly mean lost people, right? Lost people are not going to be resurrected to rule and reign with Christ. To think so would be foolish. They rejected Christ. They are without Him and they face eternal judgment because they're not going to be raised up to rule and reign with Him. No. I would also place in this category those who do not... uh, The rest of the dead who live not are those who did not obey, those who did not overcome, those who did not make themselves ready. There are people I know, there are people maybe that you know, that at one time professed Christ. They professed to know Him. Maybe they gave their lives to Him, but what happened? They turned their back and they walked away. And I've heard people say, I'm never coming back. I don't want any part of this. I'm done. I'm out. Maybe you know some people like that. Maybe Maybe you don't. I don't know. But I do. Would it make sense if they passed from this life for Christ to say, hey, you know what? Remember when you said, pooey on you, you're walking away from me. Hey, come up and rule and reign with me. No, he says, he who denies me before men, I'll deny before my father. And he who confesses me, him I will confess. And we can start going, well, what about this? And what about them? And what about this? And this situation and that situation. That's usually where our mind starts going, right? I just want to take you back to a passage we kind of read quickly last week. And I want you to go back there and see what it says. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I want you to see something Jesus says here that has kind of helped me and settle my mind. Because I, I got the what ifs and the yeah buts and how about this. And there's all those kind of things that run through my mind too. Let let what Jesus says kind of settle on your mind as you sit here and hear it, okay? Luke chapter 12 and verse 31. Rather, seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You need to know that, okay? You're here and you're serving the Lord as part of His New Testament church. You know what God wants to do for you? Give you the kingdom. Let's not make it so hard that nobody but St. Paul can get in. And even he's a maybe. Man, I've heard it preached like that. I've probably even preached it myself. If we are serving him and we are doing our best to follow him and we're, we're following scripture, it says it is, fear not, little flock, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I, I, want, I want that to be clear. God wants to bless us with all spiritual blessings. So let's keep that in mind. But there's something else too, okay? Verse 33, Luke 12, 33, Sell all that you have and give alms. Provide yourself bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupts. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Oh, now he's starting to step on toes. He's getting up in our lives where we have problems. We've got a lot of treasure on this earth. There's a lot of shiny things I like in my life that I want to keep shiny and new and enjoy. Things that can take my eyes off of the treasure in heaven. And wherever 
my focus is on my treasure, that's where my heart is following. See now where he's starting to shift it? God wants to give you the kingdom and all that he's talked about. The, the question is whether or not our heart is set on it or not. Verse 35, Let your loins be girded about and your lights be burning. And ye yourselves, like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, you may open up to him immediately. You guys, we, church, need to be ready. So when the Lord comes, our bags are packed. I spoke to Brother Beckhart a couple of weeks ago. You just make a conversation with him, had, had down and sat, lunch, sat down and had lunch with him and I asked, I asked him the question, so how are you doing? And he had this statement, I'm doing good, but my bags are packed. It's a pretty fair statement, isn't it? Doing good, but there's a part of my heart that I'm ready to go. Is that true in our lives? Like our lives are made ready? If the Lord would return right now, would we be ready? Or if He came and knocked on the door, would we say, hold on? Like when people come and you're not expecting and they just show up at the door and you run around and try to hide things under the couch or in the rooms or throw dishes in the stove. You know how that goes. Maybe some of you do, maybe some of you don't. But we're scurrying around trying to clean things up so it looks presentable. That's not going to happen when Jesus comes back. We're either ready or we're not. And Jesus says, you guys need to be ready. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when He cometh, shall find watching. Blessed are those servants. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Blessed are those when the Lord comes, he finds watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them sit down to meet and shall come forth and serve them. If he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. It doesn't matter the timing. They're ready now. Are we ready for an imminent return of Christ? Are we ready for when we expect it not? Are we ready for if it's seven years from now or 20 years from now? Are we ready? We should be ready at all times. And know if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, would have not suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also. So he gives this command. You need to be ready. And as he is speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to us today. Be ready, church. Be ready, Faith Baptist. But he doesn't stop there. And here's where I think it's going to answer maybe or helps to answer some of my questions. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, are you speaking this parable to us or even to all? Are you talking to us or are you talking to everybody? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over all his household to give them portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say to you, he will make him ruler over all that he hath. Do you hear similarities to Revelation 20? Ruling and reign with Christ, blessed and holy, make him ruler over all that he has, because he has been doing what his Lord told him to do? Verse 45, But if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, that has not yet. He's taking a long time. I got time. And then she'll begin to beat the men servants and maidens and to eat and drink and be drunk and just not do anything he was supposed to do, not do anything the Lord, his Lord told them to do. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and at an hour when he is not aware and he will cut him in sunder and will appoint him in his portion with the unbelievers. Whoa, pretty strict punishment. I told you to do something. You didn't do it. You knew better. 
You willfully chose not to. Now judgment comes when I come back. Then he goes on. Verse 47. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. Here it is. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. It would do us good not to worry so much about other people. And who's this? And who's going to be there? And how? What, is, what are they going to have to answer for? We need to take warning. We know some things, don't we? We have been blessed with knowing our Lord's will and the Lord giving us instructions and the, the understanding that we have of the Scripture. It is not my job to be Lord over other servants. It is my job as a servant of my Lord to do what He has committed me. And I know what waits for me. If I am faithful and I am diligent to do my Lord's will, there is much blessing, isn't there? Make me ruler over all that He has. And by the way, I don't think it's wrong to want that. I think it's, it's right to desire. Oh, man, that sounds so awesome. I, I, man, I want to be like that. But if I know better and I do not, then there's an accountability there, isn't it? Yeah, there's some people that don't know as much. I'll let the Lord handle that. I'll let the Lord handle how He works that out. I just know for us and all of us sitting here, we have been given much responsibility, so we ought to be faithful to it. I, I would rather spend my energy focusing on that rather than who, and who, who is and who's not going to receive this or that. I know for sure what the Lord has called and what the Lord has promised His people to. Make sense? We have been given much, so let's be faithful in that. All right. We got like five minutes. Let's go to back to Revelation 20. One last thought for you, because I, I would like to move to the end of this study. Let's go back to Revelation 20 and verse 7. Let's go fast forward now to the end of the thousand year reign. Thousand years, Christ is king. He's got his people ruling and enacting his rule. Then we come to the end, Revelation 20 and verse 7. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So now John in the vision fast forwards a thousand years, which actually is a little odd for John to do. He's very detailed, but we'll get back to that in a bit. We, get, we fast forward a thousand years to the end, to the release of Satan. He's been bound, right? world hasn't been under his influence. Now he's allowed to go out. So he's released. He goes right to work to deceive the nations. This Gog and Magog, it could be talking about uh, northern nations above Israel, but certainly it's talking about powerful nations. Satan's going to go out to these nations of power to deceive them, to gather them together. And he's got a purpose. This purpose, I think, is different than his purpose has been. His purpose up till now and now is to distort the truth, right? Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden is played out every day. Did God say that? No, God didn't mean that. Look at this. This is better. 
That's what Satan does over and over, and it gets people to turn away, not listen to the truth, and follow a lie, which leads to damnation. Satan has done that over and over, and as much as he can get distraction off of God and away from God and the truth to be veiled and people to be led away from God or fall in the relationship, that's what he does. That's his goal. His goal here, I think, is different. His goal here is to get an army together for his last stand. There's a battle coming. He's going to take on God head to head, and he wants an army behind him. And so he goes out in all of his power to, to, to uh, gather together an army. And here, it, to me, probably one of the most striking phrases in Scripture. It's breathtaking. It's scary. It should cause us to double take. The end of verse 8. Look at that. The number of whom, the number of the army, is as the sand of the sea. This army that he gathers is of the sand of the sea. You may say, so what? No, 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 no. Stop and think. The physical presence of God is on the earth. God the Son in Jerusalem. He is the King of the earth. His word is law. His faithful ones enact and enforce His his law globally. It is the perfect utopia. In fact, there's some places in the Old Testament, the carcasses of the army that went against them, the carcasses from Armageddon are still there. As a reminder, this is what happens when you go against Christ. And yet, for just a little time, Satan goes out to deceive the nations and the people that flock to him are as of the sand of the sea. Humanity has fallen. We think sin is no big deal. It's a big deal. We fall when God is here on the earth. There are people that choose Satan over him. That's what, uh, uh, how big a deal sin is. That's how far we, is, we have fallen. Again, let me just give you some food for thought. <laughs> I, to me, I read this and think, how can this happen? How, how can this happen? How can people do that? Well, number one... We're not that smart in our sin nature. We're dumb. We do dumb things, right? That's why we choose other things other than God. But I also think of this. Things that I've studied and I've read and I've read here. Isaiah 65 says that if you're a sinner, you die at 100 in the millennial reign. There's No, no child dies. And if, if somebody dies at 100, well, they were a sinner and they're being punished. So that leads me to think, well... How, how can this happen if sin is punished so much? How can nations be gathered? I mean, you'll have people that will been, have been living on this earth for hundreds of years, seeing Christ rule and Christ put down opposition, and yet there are still people that, that go to Him? How does Satan turn the tides of, of people that follow Him to follow, of people that follow God to follow Him? Well, haven't we seen it in our own nation? And doesn't he go after the younger generations? How is America where we are now? Because 50 years ago, 60 years ago, people would have thought this is impossible. We've got a cross-dresser as a Secretary of State. 
That's, that's insane. What happened? The attacks came against the younger generations. And there's been a failure on the parents' part to teach these things diligently into your children when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way and make them on the pillars of your doorposts and frontlets between your eyes and all the things the Scripture says way back in Deuteronomy. That failure happens. And so you know what? The younger generation is led away. Could it be? Could it be that Satan goes after these younger generations that have come up in the millennial reign and they follow him? Not the people who've been alive for hundreds of years, maybe since they saw Armageddon happen and they remember some things. Maybe they didn't tell them. I don't, I don't know. These are just things that I think of. Because it sure seems to be how he works now. Regardless, he gathers an army and Satan will make his last stand. And right here, we've got the showdown of all time. God versus Satan. Good versus evil. And it will be settled right here, right now. What will happen? What will it be like? I sound like a commercial guy, but stay tuned for next week. (laughs) We'll get to that and we'll talk about that next week. So for those tuning in, I pray it's been helpful, cause you to think about some things, and look forward to seeing you next time.